We're back in the John passage, you guys. Uh, we're studying uh, the Gospel of John, and we've been we took a little break for Advent, and we are back into it uh, for until Easter time, and just actually the Sunday after Easter. And so, I hope you're reading through it with us. I hope you're reading through uh, the, the chapters that we're going to be studying. You probably forgot we were coming back to John or didn't know that. You weren't ready. You didn't read John 11. So we're going to take some time to be in John 11 today. So grab a Bible because all you're going to get up on the screen is, uh, is the first line of the text. First lines are always really good, but it's not going to get you much. So let's, o- let's open up a Bible um, that they're in front of you. I'd love a page number, John 11 in the church Bibles. 1077. Thank you. 10, 1076. 1076. Thank you. 1076, so um, we're going to be in this, in this great passage. Again, I really hope that you're, you're going to be reading along with us. This story, now I love the first line. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and you're like, okay, what's going to go on here? This is a story about Jesus, this is a story about sickness. You're like, okay, there's, I, can, I could pretty much guess what's going to happen here. And uh, many of you have read the story, but it's so fun to look at the beginning. You're like, all right, what's God going to tell us? What's going to be going on here? First lines, right? It was a dark and stormy night. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, right? There's something that you're like, okay, what is going to happen in this story? And this is about Lazarus. And what we're going to find out, it's going to be about Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And it's going to be about waiting for God. You see, this, this story taps into something that we are dealing with in our lives every day. And this is one of my top 10 favorite passages, maybe top five, maybe top two. This is so, and so I have alluded to this passage and some of the principles you're gonna hear probably 10 times in the last decade in sermons because this is such a, this is where we live. This idea of waiting for God and wondering what God is up to when we don't see him come through the way that we think that he should be coming through or that we long him to come through. Does that just resonate with anybody? Because I got, here we go. It's 2022. It's a new year. This is a new year sermon because as you look into 2022, let me tell you what you're going to be facing. I have no idea. See, I have no, (laughs) and neither do you. And that's the deal, right? That is the whole deal. And it's not just because we're in a pandemic. Like last year, you felt that way and you blamed it on on COVID. And the year before that, you actually felt that way. And I don't know what you blamed it on. There have been times in our lives, little short seasons where we're like, no, no, I'm not waiting and wondering what God is up to. I got it all figured out. You know, that's never been true and it never will be true. Waiting is our destiny. Wondering what God is doing is part of living this side of the kingdom of God having not come yet in its fullness. It's part of the deal. I love this quote. Let's see if I have it in my notes here. I love this quote from Lewis Smeads, who's a, a theologian and a professor at Fuller Seminary. And uh, he said this, he goes, waiting is our destiny. It's our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. Now think, think about that line now. Waiting is our destiny. We're creatures who by themselves cannot bring about what it is we hope for. I mean, man, this is not just in a pandemic year, but in life. We are those who wait and are dependent on the work of God. And we can't do anything apart from that. Oh, we can strive and fuss and make some things happen and we can start some fires, but we're waiting for God to be real. Am I right? 
Loose means waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. And we wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. That's what it's like to journey this side of heaven. And it's not all that gloomy because what it does is it puts us in a place to allow God to write our stories and to end up discovering the story that God is writing rather than believing that it is a light that we're supposed to bring, a story we're supposed to write, an ending that we're supposed to guarantee. And so we wait and we wait for God and we wonder sometimes what it is that God is up to. So this text really tells that story. And, um, and so because you didn't have a chance to study the text, next week will be in John 12. So this week, read and study and sit in John 12, okay? But because you didn't do that, we're going to take some time in this chapter that you have in front of you. And you can see it's quite a long chapter. We're going to do the first half of it or, or three quarters of it. It's a lot of verses. But I want you to hear the story. And I want us to, to, um, to sit in this story and identify with what these guys are going through. And then I'm going to make some observation in the few minutes that I'll have left over at the end. I'll probably be racing by that point, okay? So here we go. This is John chapter 11. Everybody with me? I'm sorry. Is everybody with me? Oh, good. Just making sure. Okay. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You're like, oh, I love that story. I know, there's actually two stories like it. You may be confusing them. If you had a Bible with color on every page and footnotes and all that kind of stuff, you could go and discern and read both those stories. They're amazing. One of those is Mary. You also learn other things about Martha and Mary. And some of, them, some of us remember this story. Does anybody, yep. Martha, Martha, Martha. Remember Jesus said to say that to her, right? Or was it Brady Bunch? Marsha, Marsha. Okay, it's something like that. So this is the kind of thing you got to go look. You got to go look at this stuff. Are you taking notes? Are you writing that down? Go look at that passage. Okay, never mind. All right, so this is Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And so John, the author, saying, you know these people. We've talked about them, or we're going to talk about them. There's a couple stories later in his book. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. Now, Jesus is in a town called Perea at this time. He's 19 miles away. He sends word, so it probably takes a whole day to get the word to Jesus. And the message comes, the one you love is sick. Do you not love that? Is it not something a little bit, it sounds Italian, maybe Jewish, mother-ish kind of a thing to be like, listen, the one you love is sick. So I know because you love him, you're going to want to do something about this, right, Jesus? Like, they're like insinuating that there's a thing that Jesus should be doing because clearly you love Lazarus. So you're going to do something. The word sick here is not just he's got a cold. The word sick here is sick unto death, it might even say in your translation. And so he's dying. So they're like, Lazarus is dying. There's no hope. And so since you love him, Jesus, like we're going to expect you to show up. Okay? This is what's happening. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. You're like, oh, what's going to happen here? There's going to be something happening. But Jesus goes, oh, no, you think he's sick to death? He's not. Something else is going to happen. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Now, remember when Jesus said that just there, when he heard this, Jesus said, he said it to his disciples, but Martha and Mary were with their dying brother and didn't hear Jesus say that, right? So notice the details. So when Jesus, but now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and her sister and Lazarus. No, don't, don't miss this. Are you with me in verse five? 
Jesus loved them. So verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was dying, he stayed where he was. Jesus, now Jesus loved them. And so he rushed right over and healed their brother. That's what you should say. But because Jesus loved them, it says, he stayed where he was two more days. And so Lazarus died. There is no way for us cognitively to put that in any place other than that the sovereignty of God, the way he writes the story, the way he wants to magnify his glory is totally going to be different than what we expect or what we think should happen or what we would do. Sometimes we're going to be waiting and wondering what in the world is God up to in your story? Is that not true? So he said to his disciples, all right, now let's go back to Judea. Now they're going to talk some more about going to Judea and how dangerous that was. And so not, it's interesting, but not for our purposes this morning, we're not going to read it. But what, what we really need to see there up to verse seven through verse seven is that, hey, you love Jesus, you love Lazarus, you come. But no, Jesus stayed where he was so long that Lazarus then died. Verse 14, he tells his disciples, Lazarus is dead, but for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Now let us go to him. So there's these hints of God, what God's gonna do. But again, Mary and Martha didn't hear this. Verse 17, let's continue with the story. On his arrival, everybody with me on verse 17? I'm sorry, is everybody with me on verse 17? Okay, good. It's just, it's a holiday weekend. I know some of you stayed up late. All right. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, right? Because the word had gotten to him, took a full day for the word to get to him 19 miles away. And then he stayed where he was two more days. And then they had a full day of travel back toward Bethany. And so now it's four days. Bethany was though only two miles from Jerusalem. And so because of that, many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I love that honest reaction. She's like, Jesus is coming. He's finally here. Four days late. Hello. Should have teleported over here. We should have fixed this problem. And so she goes out to meet him and she cuts right to the chase and goes, so I don't understand what you're, I don't understand what you're doing. It's really simple. If you had been here, this would not have happened. Anybody resonate with that honest reaction to God with stuff that you've walked through or stuff that you're facing. So you're, so you're the savior? So you have power to heal blind people? Like, we've seen you. Simple fact is, y- y- if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. That's pretty bold. Talk about that a little bit in a minute. But she goes, but I know that even though, even now God will give you whatever you ask. And there's sort of like some pressure there. So like, do, do something. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, okay, I know he'll rise at the resurrection. Like on the last day. It's like she's saying, is that what you're talking about? Or like, are you going to do something now? And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, she's not getting her question answered. And she's like, um, okay, yeah, I guess I believe that. And it's almost like with resignation, she says, I believe that you're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. Like you didn't answer my question, but yeah, I believe in you. Wow. 
I don't know what you're up to. I don't know why you stayed where you were. I don't know why you let him die. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know when he's going to get raised, but I believe in you. That's instructive. I believe in you. Then verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. And Mary heard this. She got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village. He was outside of Bethany, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. Verse 31, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And she said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Same question. Same, what, what are you up to, God? Why didn't you come? What were you doing? I wrote in my Bible, where have you been? And that, that's a for real prayer. So where have you been when I felt like I needed you to come through for me? Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, you could say you memorized a verse today. John 10, 35. John 11, 35, Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them actually had the same question, right? Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept, could not he who have, has opened the eyes of the blind man uh, kept this man from dying? Like how, like, well, I'm glad he's all weepy and everything, but if he had been here, Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved. This is the third time in this text it talks about Jesus having a deep passion. Verse 33 and verse 35 and then verse 38, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead by dead man. By this time, there's going to be a bad odor for he's been there for four days. It's, it's, like, it's like she's making the point like, do you, how do you not understand what we've been concerned about here? If you, if you had come, he wouldn't have been, he would have been raised. He would have been healed. But, but not only did you not come, but he's been rotting for four days. Like the story is over. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. For Jesus had now showed up and life had fully come. Is that not an amazing story? But when we read it, you might, start, you might start at the beginning that Lazarus was sick and then Lazarus died and jumped to the end that Jesus raised the dude from the dead. Crazy story. But you can't miss the middle of it that it speaks to every one of our journeys that we wait and we wonder what God is up to. And there's nothing 
that we can do to change that except to allow him to write our stories and put our faith in him. And so if this is true, if this is the kind of, if it's normal to wait and to wonder, if it's normal to wait and to wonder what God is up to, then how do we wait? Alex, put that slide up there for everybody to see. If it's normal to wait and to wonder what God is up to, then how do we wait? If this is what this is about, this side of heaven, then how do we wait? What does it look like to live the life of Christ, to live this life abundance that Jesus promised if this is the normal way that life can go. So I have four things that I'm gonna give you in about, mm, I don't know, six or seven minutes, ready? Take some notes and we're gonna race through it. This is how we wait, that stuff I get from this text. First, we wait wrestling. We wait wrestling. When you look at this text, the first thing you notice as you're going along is that these women got super honest with Jesus. And they were ready to wrestle with him. And they came right up. Martha, right away, is just like, uh, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Part of waiting is to come to God with, that, with the angst and with the longing and to bring everything that we have to him and be like, what's happening? I want to wrestle with you. I want to know your plan. I want to know your, your, how you're going to bring life. I want to understand. I want to engage with you. And so I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm going to hang on to you. And I'm going to, go, I'm going to not let go until I get some answers. Like, what's going on, Jesus. Of course he would expect that that's how we would do it. They came right at him. Mary, as a matter of fact, Mary, when Mary finally came, in verse, what, what verse is that when Mary came? Uh, well, well, first, if you look at, at, um, uh, at verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But what did Mary do? She stayed home. Okay, this gets real really fast. She's like, Martha's like, okay, I'm gonna go talk to Jesus. And Mary's like, I'm not ready to see him. Have you ever been at a place where you're like, I don't know what God's doing, but I don't even know if I could talk to him right now. That is for real, people. And that's the kind of waiting that happens. That's the kind of longing that we have. That's the kind of unmet needs that we're living with day in and day out, this side of heaven sometimes. And so we're going to have to, how do we wait? We wait by wrestling because ultimately then the teacher's like, okay, Mary, it's time. He says to Martha, go tell your sister it's time. And so she goes to her sister and goes, the teacher's here, he's asking for you. And Mary's like, all right, I got to go see him. And that's what happens with us. We're like, all right, I gotta, now I got to talk to him. And we show up and we encounter him. And they wrestled with him like, what is happening in all of Martha's language? What do you mean he's going to rise? What are we talking about? What's the timing on this? You mean the resurrection? Uh, yeah, I do believe in you. I don't. And they're struggling with it. It reminds me of the Jacob passage in Genesis 32. Go back, take a note, write that down, Genesis 32. Laurel, put that online for the, the um, online community. Write down Genesis 32 in the chat so that they can uh, go study this. Genesis 32 is about Jacob. Jacob, his name is Deceiver. His whole life he's been managing, manipulating, and trying to figure out how to do life on his own, make his way. And God's writing his story all the way through, kept thwarting him. Jacob keeps trying to make his own way. Anyway, finally, in chapter 32 of Genesis, we get to the time where he's a little tired of it and doesn't really know if he can anymore take care of himself and all of his riches. He's meeting his brother Esau, who is angry at him and who's an army of 400 men is coming with Esau to meet Jacob. And Jacob finally goes across a river and spends a night wrestling with God. Now, it's a terrible way of me to sum up the story, but you gotta go read those chapters in Genesis. And when he wrestles with God that night, 
he gets a hold of the robes of this man. God manifests himself as a man. He gets a hold of his robes, and the man says, all right, let go of me. I get it. You're ready to to do the work here. You're ready to interact with me. You're ready to, to, to deal with who you are. And he's like, but I'm not going to let go of you. He goes, no, let go of me. And Jacob goes, not until I receive your blessing. Now, at first look, you might think of what Jacob's saying is, I, I'm going to get what I want. That's not what's happening. He's wrestling with God. And he finally says, I'm not going to let go until I finally have your way. I've been manipulating and deceiving my whole life. My name is Jacob, for goodness sakes. I've been in control the whole time. This is John's testimony. I'm I'm putting my trust in myself and my ability to make life happen, and I'm so sick of it. I'm not going to let go of you until I have your way, God. I'm not going to let go until I have your blessing, until I am walking in your plan. And he hangs on to his robe. And then what happens in that story wrestling with God, he ends up with an injured hip. Do you remember that story? I heard somebody say that. Yeah. He ends up with an injury that he'll never forget to remind him. Some of our past stories, wrestling with God, getting to that place of letting him write our story, we walk with limps. And that limp can be a source of shame and and disability, or it can be a reminder that our hope is in him and his story. But the other thing that happens in that Genesis 32 passage, that Jacob story, is when he goes, the guy that God says, let go. He goes, I'm not going to let go until I have your way, your blessing. God says to him, what's your name? And it was almost like a, oh. Jacob goes, you, you know my name. It's deceiver. It's manipulator. It's arranger. It's controller. To take advantage of people. That's what Jacob means in Hebrew. You know my name. And God says to him, not anymore. If you wrestle with me, if you're going to hang on to me, if you're going to grab onto me and wait for my story to get written, you will no longer be called Jacob. You'll no longer be the deceiver, but your name from now on will be Israel. Because Israel means, Israel means he wrestles with God. He's looking for God's story. He's looking for God's solutions. He's going to wait for God no matter what he has to go through. Come on now, church. You wrestle with God, he's going to change your name. When we wait and we wonder what in the world God is up to, we grab a hold of him and we wait wrestling with him and we go, I want nothing except your solution. I want nothing but your story. I want nothing but your will. I want nothing but your way. I want nothing but your presence in my life. That's what I'm all about, you and only you. When that happens, he goes, what's your name? And you're like, my name, my name is screwed it all up before. My name is living for myself. My name is a disaster everywhere I turn. He's like, no anymore. You should be called Israel for you have wrestled with God and you've overcome. Maybe that's why we wait in the first place. I know I got four points and I'm out of time. This is the only thing you need to carry home. Maybe that's why we wrestle and wait in the first place. It's because in it, we are changed into our true identity. A servant of God who waits for his story. Come on now, somebody give me an amen for that. Okay, I'm going to tell you the other three so you can write them down. Ready? We wait wrestling. Second, we wait in the word. No, I got to go back. Okay. How do you wait wrestling? You get a hold of his robe every day and you go, I'm not going to let go. What does that look like for you? 
What are you longing for? What are you waiting for right now? What's one or two or 20 things in your story where you're like, um, where have you been to God? You get a hold of him and you look him in the face every morning. You roll out of your bed. I'm always famous for saying this. You roll out of bed, you get on your knees and you go, I'm not gonna let go until I give you this, until I have your way. Try 100 days this year. Start your year with 100 days of rolling out of bed, getting on your knees and going, I want your story and I'm not gonna let go. All right, we wait wrestling. We wait in worship is the second thing. Sorry, we wait in in the word. Worship's the third thing if you're taking notes. We wait in the word. We wait in the word. Our hope comes when we think good thoughts, when we think God's true thoughts. Psalm 130 says this. It's so good. Psalm 130 verse five says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. I wait for the Lord. My whole being or my soul waits. And in his word, I will put my hope. I love that. We wait in the word because when we're in the word, we think right. We think well. We understand who God is. We understand how the kingdom works. When we wait in the word, we think well. When we wait outside of the word, we think crazy. And so as we're waiting for what God's going to do, we fill ourselves with his truth. Okay, this is a whole sermon. I'm going to do a sermon series on this talk, okay, in the future. Somebody hold me accountable to that. We're going to do four or five sermons. But here's what I think. When I look at the text, I go, I wait in the word. I look in the text because I love this verse 40. Look back at verse 40. Jesus said, this is when they were raising, when, when he was about to raise Lazarus, that he's like, he goes to the tomb. He's, he goes, okay, so now roll away the stone. And they're like, dude, it's gonna stink. Like you made a mess of the situation. It's gonna be awful. And Jesus says, verse 40, didn't I tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? It's like he's being a dad and he goes, um, what'd I say? Did your parents ever tell you that? What, what did I say? What were the words that came out of my mouth? It's such a great phrase. Didn't I tell you this? Oh, I love this. You see, we, God has spoken to us of so much truth and we're waiting, we wrestle and we're like, um, um, um. And he goes, hey, what'd I tell you? We got to get in the word. We got to be steeped in the word. We got to be people who understand the truth so we don't think crazy. He goes, what did I say? And so because we're in the word, and he says, hey, what did I say? When we go, hey, there's this thing that I'm waiting for and wrestling with. And he goes, what did I say? Because we're in the word, we reply, oh, well, you said you're the creator of heaven and earth and that nothing is too hard for you. And he's like, yeah, what did I say? And we, and we say, uh, we said your arms aren't too short to save and to rescue. And he's like, yeah, what do I say? And, I, and we go, uh, you said that you're patient, actually, not absent. And so you're waiting. Um, uh, and, so, uh, and so he goes, yeah, what did I say? And we said that we say, you said that you've taken all my sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west and nothing will separate me from you. And he goes, yeah, what did I say? And we said, you, well, you said you have a plan for me to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans to give me future and hope. That's what you said. And he's like, yeah, what did I say? And we go, you said you'd come back one day and make all things right. And he goes, what did I say? And we said, the thief comes to steal and destroy, but you came to bring life. And he goes, yeah, what did I say? If we're in the word and he goes, what did I say? We go, you said this. But if we're not in the word and he goes, what did I say? I'm afraid that we would be a whole church, a whole movement, a whole generation of people would be like, I don't know. Are you in the word? You and I cannot afford when we're waiting and we're wrestling and we're this close to ditching our faith 
for the Lord to go, what did I tell you? We cannot afford to go, I don't know. And then we'll think like the world and we'll think like everybody else and we'll think thoughts, crazy thoughts and we'll lose our faith. Some of you have left the faith. You may even be in church, but you've left the faith because you don't know what's true about who God is. We wait wrestling with him and we wait in the word. Oh, I want to preach that some more. We wait in the word. Are you a person steeped in God's word? Get in God's word and claim his promises and know about him. And then third, we wait in worship. And all worship is, friends, worship, whether it's coming to the table in this liturgy, whether it's doing a sacrament of, re- of, of reaffirming our vows and saying them together, whether it's singing choruses over and over and over again, worship is nothing more than rehearsing the truth. Ben prayed it earlier today. We wait in the word. It's like we understand. We remember what's true. We worship. We rehearse what's true. And so, by the way, I, don't, I super have no patience when people go, yeah, I like old hymns because, you know, it, the choruses don't, you know, like they make some distinction about worship music. And they're like, the chorus, we sing the same thing over and over and over again. On, I have no patience. I'm usually really pastorally patient. But if you come to me and say, hey, those songs, we sang this, we sang the chorus like five times. And I'm like, mm-hmm. That's rehearsing the truth. <laughs> it's why we do it. And that's why we come to the table month in and month out. And that's why we come to church to worship. Get online. Get in, we get there to remember what, to rehearse what is true. Oh, I get that in the text because after all of that conversation, Martha finally just says in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe it. That's what I know. I believe that you are the Christ. And that's what worship does as we go out of all the unknowns, out of all the questions, out of all the brokenness, out of all the mistakes I've made, I'm gonna come back over and over and over again and say, you are the savior, the one who has come into the world and I am walking with you. So we resettle that issue every single step of the way. So as you come, as you get online, you engage in every part of our gathering You engage in every moment, every activity, every reflection because you're rehearsing the truth that he is Christ, your savior who's come to walk with us. Ben, why don't you come? Courtney, just a sec, I'm gonna have you come and lead the table. But listen, the last one is we wait weeping. The last one in the text is we wait weeping. That's how we wait. Why would Jesus have wept in this story, church? Was it because he didn't understand the end of the story? He didn't know the end of the story? He totally knew the end of the story. The text says when he saw them weeping and saw the friends weeping, when he saw what it looked like and was reminded again of what it looks like on this side of heaven to deal with death and loss and grief and unknown and fear and angst, He wept for the condition that humans have found themselves. And he weeps with you today. And so as we wait, it is not the Christian thing to be like, it's all good. No, it's not all good. And Jesus weeps over how not good it is in our world today and how difficult it can be for you. So we 
live honestly in this story by weeping over what's not yet, over what's been lost, and over what we're longing for. And Jesus, John eleven thirty five, 35, weeps with us. We wait, wrestling, we wait in the word, we wait in worship, and we wait weeping. Ah, what a glorious story of a savior who's worth waiting for.